Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. That's right. The Rangers are still the champions. We're still, I mean, you're still wearing the hat and the sweater. Yeah, It's been I am. like three or four days now. It Plan will on changing continue. clothes at nope. some point? No, nope. never. You're preaching never. in that? Uh, if it was still our college ministry back in California, yes, undoubtedly. <laughs> For weeks. Yes, it would just be all the time. You know what? You shouldn't wash it, bro, because if you do, they, they might lose that special juju that won them the world series yeah the season's over so well but next season though you do, are you do you really want to put them at risk by washing here, that thing? here's the deal you want to know something actually <laughs> what i've been preaching in texas ranger socks the whole time wow since that's yeah why yep there it is yep they're welcome i should get a, <laughs> i should get a ring at minimum yeah if I, not a full-on you know like a club clubhouse status right, named after you right yep so i've been rocking these texas ranger socks each sunday they get washed in between but i've been rocking those you washed and, uh, yeah oh, i did dude. yeah because i don't want to smell you don't love them well i love them but just not that much okay yeah i don't want to smell they've been rocking creed as like their clubhouse jams <laughs> and so can you take me can higher can you take me <laughs> so <laughs> they're doing a reunion tour by the way i know i know and, and uh and that that kind of sparked this whole thing and, and it's kind of become a, a, a joke with the rangers and creed showed up to one of their games and they were like man we appreciate the support of the rangers and just not getting that it was totally an ironic like we're gonna grab this horrible uh, true confessions though i was a huge creed fan back in, in i am not surprised I, yeah. I verged between love and hate yeah like i did like some of their catchy tunes but then at the same time i'm like i just hate this guy's voice like it, it, it annoys me it yeah. legitimately just grates against my soul yeah yeah my own prison yeah that was like the first song that just grabbed me and i was like oh man that's awesome and i tried to like force them to be this christian band because he was like i cry out to god you know yeah. and it's not my not. sacrifice yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> can you take me higher you know can you take where blind men see i was like look higher. mom dad they're christians they, they'd sing about yeah. heaven yeah well his performances were always a bit like okay dude you're you're trying to get attention aren't you well i, I see that i see what you're doing i mean it worked well, yeah, he got attention, and and you paid it. Yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> he I, got I, the attention. I, I purchased his CDs. His really tight leather pants seem to have influenced you. Nope. <laughs> you didn't get the leather pants yet? Nope. Okay, nope. I'm gonna buy you a pair for Christmas. Yeah. yeah. You remember CDs? You remember those? I do. Yeah. I used to buy them. Yeah. I had a, uh, a, a in one of my cars. I had a 12 disc CD changer in the trunk. No way. Yeah. I was never that cool. Well. It skipped a lot, so uh, it was a problem. Did you ever have a, a subwoofer? No. Or an I amplifier? No. So I, yeah, I didn't have the CD changer, but I did have a, a, a sub, a small one, and, yeah. and an amplifier. It was dope. Yeah, I bet. I, I did not have that, but uh, yeah. I still want to do that today. Like, I would love to get an amp and a really nice stereo system in my car. Just roll up to the stoplight with <laughs> Toby Mac bass just blowing <laughs> up in the back. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. Um, hey, happy birthday to Berlin at Del Cadillo. It's, it's your birthday, Berlin, and it takes my breath away. Whoa. Okay. I see that. <laughs> I see what you did because the song from the 80s. Berlin, so stoked you're part of this church. We are. We're so glad to have you, and I hope you have an awesome birthday today. 12 years old. Happy birthday. Oh, wow. Yeah. And just like Priscilla, if you want to sing happy birthday to Berlin on Sunday, you can sing happy birthday to Berlin. You can. Priscilla yep. and Berlin. Yep. Both. Yeah. So. It would take our breath away. <laughs> 
podcast. All right. Well, hey, let's jump into our Bible reading for today. We are in the Old Testament in Jeremiah 38 and 39. In the New Testament, we start a brand new book called Hebrews, which is... I haven't heard of that one. Yeah. Is that in our Bible? Yeah. Um, Apocryphal, probably. Yeah. By the way, when we get to Melchizedek, I'm going to be sick that day and you can handle that one. Okay. All right, dude. I have an answer. Easy one. And John or Hebrews 6, when we talk about partaking yep. the, Done. the heavenly gift. Done. Okay. I'm in. We're not there today, though. We're just in Hebrews chapter 1. But hey, Jeremiah 38 and 39. Uh, Jeremiah 38, uh, he gets thrown into a, a, a messy situation. And uh, kind of the summarization that I had for this chapter is, hey, God's not done with Jeremiah yet. There were so many situations where Jeremiah could have just been finally silenced. We talked about one yesterday. And, and his death could have been arranged and, and he could have been executed and yet God spares him. And, and this is another situation. He's thrown into a cistern. Now, what's a cistern? Well, we, we've talked about a cistern earlier because uh, Jer- chapter two. Yeah, chapter two, Jeremiah talks about forsaking God, uh, the fountain of living waters for broken cisterns. We're going to talk about that on Sunday again a little bit too. Mm. But Jeremiah's thrown into a cistern and this seems to be one of those broken cisterns because there's no water into it, in it. And so when he's lowered down, I mean, it's a, a very descriptive picture he muddy hits the mud and begins to sink down into the mud sink in the mire and uh, yeah psalm 40 I, I, I thought about that he lifts me up out of the miry clay he says my feet on solid rock jeremiah's in the miry clay and i, I just have this i don't mean to make it comical because it wasn't for jeremiah but it just this guy, they lower him down he sinks down to his waist and then they just take off and he's just in a pit up to his waist in mud just chilling there yep. by himself and, and and that's the thing this was meant to kill him because they were going to leave him there and they were going to go away and, and he'd he was going starve. To, he'd, yeah. All the things. Yeah. Another reason why you don't want to drink water out of a cistern because you never know if somebody just died in the cistern and yeah. was left in there. That's uh, good, good advice, brother. Thank you. <laughs> but then you have Ebed Melech and, and Ebed Melech is a, a, a pseudonym, most likely whatever this guy's name actually was because the, the title there means servant of the king. And uh, he, that's what he is. He was a eunuch in the king's house. And so he was uh, somebody that was meant to be in charge of either the king's harem or the king's wives, something like that. Which if I could just interject real quick here, yeah. most often slaves didn't have actual names. Right. Uh, Secundus, second. Uh, Onesimus. Onesimus, useful. Right. I mean, they, they didn't have actual names. They, just, they were just called, hey, you're number one, you're number two, you're servant of the king, so that's what you are now. Right. So that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. What a great name though. Ebed Melech, right? Servant of the king. When I'll you think about it. that, yeah. 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 That should be all of our, our monikers. So he... Uh, does not think that this is right. And he goes to the king and he implores on behalf of Jeremiah and says, Hey, we need to get him out because this is not going to go well for us if we execute this man. And the king agrees with him. And so they go and they, they take him with 30 men. King, man, he's just such a wishy-washy kind of guy. He's weak. Oh yeah, you're right. We should do this. Oh yeah, you're right. We should. He's just, ah, yeah. Yeah. Distasteful. Even I mean, contrast that with, uh, with uh, Darius in the book of Daniel. Rucker? Oh, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, when, when he signs the decree that, that, uh, Daniel should be thrown to the lion's den yeah. and they come to him and they say, Hey, we found him. And, and he's, he grieved over the fact that he, but he's like, this is my word. So this is what's going to happen. Yeah. Word of the king can't be broken. Yeah. Yeah. Strength versus weakness here in Zedekiah. So no Zedekiah says, yeah. yeah. But he says 30 guys to go pull Jeremiah up. Well, I read that one of the reasons why is because he was sending a small force to, to protect against the advisors of the king. Because it's one of the reasons to that contribute to his weakness is that he probably wasn't actually in charge. It was his advisors, yeah. the people that were like, hey, we need to get rid of this guy. And he's like, okay, do that. Yeah. 
So that that's one theory. Although there's there's perhaps others. So this isn't because Jeremiah was eating carbs all the time. He was giving a loaf of bread <laughs> every day, He's packing away a loaf of bread. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, they go to the, pull him up, and and he is pulled up. And then again, there's another again the weakness here, right? Zedekiah calls to him and asks him in secret, and he says, "Hey, I, I want you to tell me what's going on, but I don't want you to tell anybody else if you're telling me what's going on." <laughs> like he hasn't heard yet. Hey, right. Can you just remind me what does God say about this? <laughs> right. Right. Okay. So what's going to happen again? And so. Again, though, the mercy of God is on display, even with a guy like this, because Jeremiah tells him, look, if you surrender, then it's going to go well with you. If you surrender in, in, in to the king of Babylon and don't resist what God is doing, then it's going to go well. But if you don't, man, it's it's not going to go well. Um, and uh, then he says, look, I, I don't want to be handed over to the Chaldeans because uh, they're going to deal cruelly with me. And Jeremiah says, you shall not be given over to them. Uh, he says there in verse 20, again, obey now the voice of the Lord. So there's mercy extended in this offer to this king if he would uh, listen to him. Unfortunately, as the rest of the story pulls out, he is uh, he's not going to, uh, to do this. He's not going to heed the word of the Lord. He's not going to heed this warning and he's not going to experience the mercy of God. In fact, it's going to be quite brutal what ends up happening to that king as we're going to read about. Uh, in uh, chapter 39. But yeah, here's a, a situation where the king casts Jeremiah into the cistern and then rescues him and then pulls him over into the corner and is like, hey, tell me what's going to happen again. Uh, just a, 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 to your point, Pastor Rada, a, a weak king. A weak king. Yeah, and don't miss verse 22. Uh, Jeremiah, God, it's really God. It's it's not Jeremiah. But basically, God's like, hey, you trusted, your trusted friends have deceived you and prevailed against you. Now that your feet are sunk in the mud, right. they now turn from you. So it's a bit of uh, comedic relief there. God says, look, you put Jeremiah into the pit. You're, you're actually going to be the one who's in the pit now, buddy. Yeah. What do we do with uh, the king's order to Jeremiah when he says, hey, don't tell anybody that you said this. And if they do ask you, just tell them that you were doing this for me. And that happens. And Jeremiah says what the king wants him to say rather than what he actually told the king. Dude, I, I have wrestled with these questions because this is not the only time in the text of scripture where you have something like this. So here's, right. here's how I, I, I reckoned with this. And I'd love to hear your points on this. Jeremiah does what the king says. So. He's, he communicates what the king says to, to communicate. And so I think Jeremiah can rest on the king's word and say, look, that this is what this is what I'm supposed to say. Does it fully absolve him? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, and, and here's the other part of this too. There is such a thing, uh, a theory about whether or not you're compelled to tell a truth in a given circumstance is a partial truth, an untruth. And I think that the answer to that is maybe. Maybe not, depending on the circumstance. It goes back to the question of, well, if someone asks you, are you harboring Jews in your house and it's World War II Germany and you say no, does the fact that the question is unjust change the fact that I'm demanded to give a truthful answer? And I think there's something to that. There's there's at least three major approaches to ethics in this particular category, but I don't find any of them particularly compelling. Uh, and, I, and I struggle with that. What would you say to that? Yeah, I, I don't know if this is even a partial truth because he didn't he didn't go to the king to say, don't send me back to Jonathan's house, right? And that's what the king tells him to say. And so this is a totally concocted scenario even from the king that he gives Jeremiah to, to go and, and tell. So this is, is an untruth, right? And, and I wrestle with it. And, and I think we have to come to terms with, with a couple things. Number one, God is a God of truth, right? That there's no den- denying that, that, that he delights in the truth. Uh, you look at the, the great adversary, Satan, Satan is called the father of lies. And so you have deception that is attributed to the enemy of God because God is the opposite. God is a God of truth. Um, what do you do then with, uh, yeah, the, the World War II situation? What do you do with Rahab and the spies that were sent to spy out the land? What do you do in those situations? Uh, th- there is a, a one theory out there that war 
time creates a a a provision for people to commit the lesser of two evils in order to uh, preserve what God ultimately would want, the, the greater good in this situation. And so you've got Rahab and the spies, you've got them, her, she hides them, she lets them go because Israel was at war with the Canaanites and going in. And so she was she was allowed to do that. Or you think about uh, the, the Hebrew midwives, the the the, the Hebrew women are, are they're, they're too eager to give birth and we don't get there in time and they have their babies. Well, that that's not actually what was true. They were disobeying the, the king, but you've got a, a lesser of two evils in that situation. Here, I don't think that applies here. Um, and even there, we're on shaky ground because there is no biblical chapter and verse for us to say, look, this is the exoneration. This is the loophole here. Here's the wartime provision for us here. I don't think we're dealing with a lesser of two evils situation here. I don't know that this isn't a situation of Jeremiah's weakness in lying on behalf of the king. Uh, and again, we've we've said, yes, all of scripture is true and God breathed, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't record some things that aren't good. And I don't, Jeremiah was a, a sinner, just like any of us are. And I don't know that this wasn't a situation wherein we see a fault of Jeremiah by perpetuating a lie. I could be persuaded. Otherwise, I'm not like pounding the pulpit on that one. I just, that's kind of where, what I see on here. So if you were to go through your study Bibles, you're going to find a divided a divided result. Yeah. Some people are going to say this is not Jeremiah line, and some are going to side with Pastor PJ and say this is clear a clear liar error <laughs> in judgment and perhaps a lack of faith in Jeremiah. And of course, we don't believe that Jeremiah is sinless. That's only Jesus. But th- this is this is a challenging section, and there's other challenging sections that we haven't even brought up right. that make this a this this a, a robust conversation. And and granted. Um, I think what would resolve this for us is having a greater breadth and depth of, of the knowledge of scripture. The more of God's mind that we know, the better we can appropriate, okay, what what is at work here? And there are stronger and better and more faithful minds that have worked on this and still have uh, left a lot of us wanting. Even, I, I mean, I just can't get it. It's, it's so hard, right? Because what do you do with somebody like Daniel? Like Daniel, when he knew the king's decree had been signed, went to his room with the windows open and prayed towards Jerusalem as he had done previously. You have a situation there for Daniel to, 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 to quote unquote compromise, to shut the windows, to pray in secret, to pray at different times, to do so, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When you hear the music, fall down and worship. Otherwise, here's the furnace. They could have said to each other, hey, you know what? We're going to be more useful to God if we fall down and worship. So we'll fall down even though we won't really be worshiping. Our heart's not in this. We're worshiping only Yahweh. We're just going to fall down because God needs to use us to do great things here. They don't compromise. They stay standing. Daniel goes to his room and prays with the windows open. You've got these bold acts of faith in God in the face of circumstances that would would dictate immediate death. And God delivers. Now, he doesn't always deliver people that stand up for him. Sometimes death happens. Mm-hmm. But then you look at a situation like this with Jeremiah, and it's like, why are you lying for the king here? Or, or you know, more uncomfortably, you look at a situation like Rahab, and you go, okay, was that what God wanted her to do? Or could God have delivered with her even telling the truth? Now, she's commended for her faith in the book of Hebrews, so I think you have testimony from God himself answering that question there. But it's just, it's hard. It's not cut and dry. God is a big God and able to deliver from big circumstances. And I think there's, there's, there's room for us to trust him probably more than we do. I think our, our flesh wants to run to compromise and to deceit and to hide in, in what's comfortable more, more often than we should. I think that's one principle that we can derive from this. That's a helpful insight.
Chapter 39, then uh, we have devastation. Um, 587 BC to 586 BC. This is the, the final deportation and the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, and the, the the Babylonians come in, notice in verse 3, and they sit in the middle gate. You may be thinking, what, what is the significance of that? Well, the gate was the place where the rulers of the city would hold court. The gate was the place where the elders would be. The gate was the place where the seat of the king would be, even where he would come and he would sit in the gate and he would rule from the, the seat in the gate there. So when the Babylonians come into the city and they take up residence there in the gates, they're basically flexing on that and saying, we're here, we're the new rulers. Look at me, we're the captains now. Um, they're signaling that very clearly. And then you know what happens here. Zedekiah doesn't obey the word of the Lord. And it, 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 the brutality that the king of Babylon, that Nebuchadnezzar unleashes. And again, this is what I was driving at. When, when God calls Nebuchadnezzar his servant, I want you to look at verse six and look at what he does to Zedekiah here. This is the one God has called his servant. He slaughters the sons of the king in front of his eyes and then gouges his eyes out so that the last thing that, that Zedekiah saw was the death of his children. This is wickedly brutal and evil. Now, that goes back to that. When God says that he is his servant, it does not mean that God is condoning him or saying that he is a good person or that he is a redeemed person. He's not. Clearly, he's not by this. But God is saying he is his instrument in his hand, that God is sovereign over what's going on. This is part of the execution of God's wrath poured out upon Zedekiah, specifically through a human instrument here. And sometimes God does that. He uses human instruments to bring about judgment and wrath and pour out discipline upon his people. And certainly we see that here, uh, just a horrific scene. And yet through it, uh, God is going to deliver Jeremiah even through the compassion that Nebuchadnezzar is going to have for the prophet in contrast to the judgment against Zedekiah there. And he does so through the hands of, uh, well, not through the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, although that is true. He, he does this in part through the hands of Ebed-Melech. So God returns the favor to Ebed-Melech, and, and this is a Gentile. Remember, he's an Ethiopian eunuch. This is not one of the people of Israel. God uses this man to preserve Jeremiah, and God consequently says, dude, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you favor for the kindness that you showed to my people. Yeah. So I think that's helpful too. Uh, even in the midst of judgment, God shows mercy, God shows kindness, and God is giving everyone their just desserts, though not everybody at the same time. He's uh, responding appropriately to each per- each person in each individual situation as they find themselves. And this again, again goes back to the concept that God's operating at a whole different level than we are. Yep. He's doing 5D, 6D, 10D chess with millions and millions at this point, billions of people on the planet, and we're kind of part of the game here where we get to be part of the show and all of our job is to do this old song that Lecrae did called uh, uh, Background. I think it's called Background. That is, uh, I could play the background. Um, anyway, we're, yeah. all, we're all the background. He's the star of the show. He's center stage. Our job is to support the main character. Yeah. And this is what it looks like here. Yeah. Yeah, and, and this is this is what everything's been leading up to is the destruction of Jerusalem. And, and from here, we're going to see some fallout for what happens. Jeremiah initially remains there in, uh, in Ju- Judah, in Jerusalem, but that's going to be short-lived, not by his choice, but we'll see that in some coming chapters here. But Poor guy, man. Yeah. Tossed to and fro. The weeping prophet. Yeah. yeah I'd be crying too, man. He probably has quite the mansion in heaven. <laughs> Hey, let's uh, turn over to Hebrews. The letter to the Hebrews and uh, is written by who again, Pastor Rod? Uh, uh, Bill. <laughs> Bill. Yeah, uh, we don't know. It, it's not. It's not 
labeled there. Some uh, church tradition for a long time said, well, this is one of the Pauline letters. There's good reason to believe that it's not. Um, And a lot of that, if you're wondering, okay, how do people make that decision, make make that judgment call? Well, we have enough of Paul's corpus of writing to be able to compare and contrast his writing, his style, the word choices in the original language that he used, how technical his writing was versus casual his writing was. And it, it seems evident that there's enough differences in the the style of hebrews from paul's letters to say this is this is not paul writing the book of hebrews um there's other authors that have been suggested all the way luke luke apollos apollos someone with really polished hebrew right right, greek rather right because this is this is advanced this is technical you don't Uh, read this book when you're learning (laughs) new testament greek no you learn this at like seven courses down the line when you're like you're ready to go to the upper echelons, this is tough Greek. It's tough. It's a hard book. Period. Yes, yeah. you're right. Even yeah. in English, it's hard English. Right. <laughs> Throw Greek in the mix, man. You're talking about a deadly storm here. It's awful. Right. And it, the, the, it's called the letter to the Hebrews, but really this is a sermon that the the writer preaches as he writes it, and so that it's helpful in that sense. I know the DBR just has you in chapter one today, but if you have the time, I, I would encourage you to read the whole thing cover to cover um, because it really is a a sermon that the 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 preacher the writer the author whoever he was writes to a group of believers who are really battling temptation and they're, they're battling a temptation to go back to a lot of their judaistic practices they're they're battling a temptation to want to go back to the law back to the priestly system back to the the things that they knew and some of that is coming from persecution some of that i think is just coming from a desire for the tangible some of that is coming from a desire for what's comfortable and familiar and the author sets out to write about how much better jesus is and what we have in jesus than anything they had prior to that. And so uh, he starts in chapter one with exalting Jesus as better than the angels in chapter one. Was that ever a question? I think as you consider the Old Testament uh, concept of the angels as an intermediary, and, and that's what they talk about, that that, uh, the, that the, the word, the, the law came through an interme- intermediary being the angels and then was delivered to Moses. The angels were, were considered quite a high they were special office they were a special office in god's economy and so yeah people were tempted to worship the angels people were tempted to think that the angels were a, a, a superior being and so when you have him reminding people about how much greater jesus is that's going to be one of the keys and again we're talking about in contrast to the old testament the the, the writer believed or the people believed that the law was given through angels to moses so even as he's setting up his whole argument that he's going to develop much further as the book goes on he's first writing writing to say we've got a better revelation in jesus than even we had through the angels. And that's what he starts out with when he says, look, long ago, God spoke in many ways and many times through the prophets, but now in these last days, which by the way is a reminder that, hey, we're in the last days. If the last days were, were present tense when the writer of Hebrews wrote, we're still in the last days. Even more so. Even more so. Laster. <laughs> Lastest. In, in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, who is better. Uh, let's talk to Pastor Ron, verse four. You and I both preached through this book recently. You with mm-hmm. our, our high school ministry in California, me with our college right. students. Uh, we even titled it the same thing. Um, yes, we did. On accident, which is awesome. Which we have a habit of, of doing that apparently. Because, <laughs> <laughs> Hey man, simpatico, like-minded. Yeah, it's great. We're like-minded. But Hebrews 1, 4, it talks about the name that he has inherited. It talks to us about that because it seems like it's son. But if that's the case, what do we do with the eternal sonship concept. How do we wrestle with this? If he's talking about inheriting that name, or maybe your, your take is it's not son. What, what do we do with that verse? So I I'm of the opinion that the inheritance or the inherited position is the Lordship of Christ. So I would look at Philippians chapter two, 
It is the, which is a reference to the book of he, uh, the, the the book of Isaiah. So I, 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 in shorthand here, I don't want to get off topic because we, we both preached this. It's going to be a long conversation, but I think it's the, the Lord title. Uh, it's not that he didn't have it before. It's that he was crowned king and Lord. He was acknowledged as such and revealed as such when he defeated sin and death. So exalted to the right hand of God, esteemed in that way, Lord is the name I would go with. Yeah. What's your, what's your position? Yeah, I, I... <laughs> I, I, it's hard and I don't know that I'm undecided, but because so much of the rest of this is he's dealing with the name son in context here, I think there's a good argument for it. But the problem is just what I, what I, the way I asked that question, there's a concept with in, in Trinitarian theology. Again, we'll, we'll talk about this on Sunday of the eternal generation of the son. That is that he is begotten from the father from eternity past that, that the, the father that is the source of the Godhead being Christ and the spirit as well. Not that they ever didn't exist. He didn't originate them. He didn't create them, but that from eternity past, he has begotten them. He has been their source, begotten the son, sent the spirit. Um, and so if that's the case, Jesus has always been the son. That's been his name from eternity past. And so that's what we run into difficulty with here. When we say the name that he inherited, that would imply there was a time he didn't have that name, which is why other suggestions have been put for, for like the suggestion that it was Lord, uh, which is, I, I think, a viable position as well. Some have said, well, it's, it's the name Jesus because that was the name that he was given at his birth, which meant he would save his people from their sins. There are viable options out there, but this is just a glimpse, y'all, into this, some of the difficulties and intricacies of trying to, to preach through and understand the book of Hebrews. But the simplicity of the message is this. Jesus is better. That's right. And that's what he's going to be drawing out for us as we study the entire book. Can't wait. Well, hey, uh, join with us again tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. See you then, guys. Oh, hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org, and we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you.